What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 27 of the Having Report. The price of Bitcoin is about 8,500 US dollars at about quarter to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on May 10th, 2020. Today is Mother's Day, and I want to wish a very warm, happy Mother's Day to my own mother and to all of the mothers out there. There's only one day left. That's right, one day left until the third Bitcoin halving. Minor rewards will be cut in half. Only 900 Bitcoins will be minted per day until the fourth Bitcoin halving in about four years from today. It looks as though the Bitcoin rewards will be Slice in half sometime Monday night. There are a lot of people in the space who are hosting live streams and online parties for the having. So if you want to watch the rewards split with like-minded people, there are many options out there. Be sure to tune into the Havering Report for rapid fire Bitcoin news and interviews with people in the space. And being the last day of the Havering Report podcast before the having, we have a very special guest, JB the Crypto King. JB is very active and vocal about his love for cryptocurrency on crypto Twitter, and today we get to pick his brain about the having and all things crypto. Everybody, welcome Jake, JB, the Crypto King, to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today, JB, the Crypto King. We're in very exciting times, approaching the third Bitcoin halving. One thing I like to ask people in the space, and new people that I meet in this space, is what's your Bitcoin story, as in how did you discover Bitcoin, and what makes you so passionate about it? Thank you for having me on, Brad. My intro into the space is actually kind of humorous. I got into the space originally unintentionally in 2012, 2013, while I was graduating undergrad. be a high stakes poker player. I still play a good amount of poker, but back in the day, I used to attend games where they'd show up with a couple thousand dollars in cash per person. And one of the games I just happened to not be at was robbed by gunpoint. So after that, everyone was kind of curious to how do we make the game safer? Well, I went to Indiana University's business school and being in Indiana, very, very gun promoting state, they decided everyone should just carry guns. My idea was we should bring Bitcoin. At the time, Bitcoin was 25 to $50 in Bitcoin ranging, and they were absolutely adamantly against it. So no one ever bought any Bitcoin. I was introduced to it, but never really did anything with it. And then years later, after law school, I got back into it because I understood why our current system was broken and became very passionate because I realized the law system, the legal system, and the finance system were skewed. They were off. And the real fix for that was Bitcoin. Wow. You said a lot of very interesting things there. You're a poker player. You play all kinds of poker or you mostly Texas Hold'em? Mostly Texas Hold'em. And the game that unfortunately was robbed was a lovely local Hold'em game with all the guys who own like little businesses in town. Oh, that's really unfortunate. And you said you went to law school? Yeah, I went to law school down in Florida. Okay. All right. So there's a lot going on in the world today, you know, with the pandemic and COVID-19 mass layoffs and so forth. There's, but there's also many social and technical differences with Bitcoin now that there hasn't been in the past. So I wanted to ask you, in what ways, if any, do you think this Bitcoin having will be different than, than past havings? I think one of the most important two points to note going into the having is the inflationary rate of Bitcoin will be compared deflationary in comparison to other currencies of the world. So for the first time in history, we have an asset that's being created that represents money in the sense that they're producing less of each year than we release of US dollars or of British pounds or of Chinese yen. So it really is a huge point because as the demand the demand increases more than one or two percent per year, the price of Bitcoin will go parabolic. On top of that, the second point being miners who used to be the largest sellers of Bitcoin will no longer be. There'll be more Bitcoin generated from exchange fees than from mining on a daily basis. And the exchanges will likely turn that into fiat or turn that into the equivalent of USD because they need to keep their operations running and people still 
need to eat using U.S. dollars or whatever currency their country's running on, because as much as I'd love it to be, Bitcoin has not been adopted worldwide yet. So you're saying this will be the first time in history exchanges will be outpacing miners, and that's going to have... The sale is Bitcoin, which is crazy. Normally, it's the miners mining each day selling Bitcoin. This time, there'll be more money generated from exchange fees than Bitcoin being mined on a daily basis. So the exchanges will actually have more Bitcoin to sell regularly than the miners. So who controls the price is going to shift exponentially. And on top of it, we've got less Bitcoin being produced. So as long as you hold your Bitcoin, it's likely to appreciate like we've looked at any two or three year period over time. Aside from price appreciation in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, I wanted to ask you, because some of your tweets go beyond, you know, the price and, you know, are sometimes a lot more philosophical. Uh, in what ways do you see Bitcoin or blockchain impacting society? Obviously, um, being who I am, I'm philosophical on top of being entrepreneurial. I'm very financially driven. But at the same time, you have to understand what are the underlying principles of something to actually love it. You can make money and be profitable off something without loving it. But Bitcoin is something I truly love. And you can tell the principles of Bitcoin because when the world is collapsing, that's what people use. People in the United States and in first world countries don't really understand that. But when an economy truly does collapse, like Zimbabwe, like Venezuela, like Libya, like Lebanon, when their economies and there's hyperinflation and you can't use your dollars, people seek out digital currencies. They seek out US dollars also. But right now we printed six trillion US dollars in the last month alone. So eventually there'll be an alternative to the dollar. And I highly think it's going to be Bitcoin. And if it is, the price of Bitcoin will be exponentially increasing, even though it's a solution to the world's problems. So philosophically, it does something fantastic. Economically, it brings huge benefits to the holders. What would you say the biggest opportunity in the cryptocurrency space right now is? Would you say it's Bitcoin? I think there's two different types of people in the space investors and traders. And the safest investment over the next five years in the crypto space would be Bitcoin. That being said, that doesn't mean it's going to be the highest yielding. If you ask me the highest yielding coin over the next five years, I'd list five or six different coins that will likely outpace Bitcoin in terms of USD and Satoshis. However, that doesn't mean it's the safest by a long shot. I would never recommend my grandma go buy Tezos and hope it appreciates. But I would recommend she bought Bitcoin at any price under 10000 So it's one of those things where it's safest being highest yielding are two different things and safest hands down Bitcoin and the returns on Bitcoin, I expect to be well over 20% a year, which outpace anyone in the normal markets. And some years, it'll be well over 100%. So people should be holding Bitcoin and if they want, trading altcoins. That being said, do you think Bitcoin will always remain the number one cryptocurrency then? I do. I think it's very comparable to other luxury assets and luxury goods. If you look at cars, for the most part, Rolls Royce has been dominant since they came out with the cars, even though Henry Ford was right in competition with them. So when you look at cars or even purses for the females out there, the Hermes bag costs exponentially more than a Tom Ford bag, but at the same time, a Chanel bag costs more than a Gucci bag. And the reason for this, they're using the same leather. A lot of the times it's made in almost the same factory. So what determines the difference in price? It's the branding. It's the recognition. It's the stability. And Bitcoin has the recognition. It has the branding. It has the stability. And most of all, that's the history. The longest brands, Hermes, the brands that go back three, 400 years are the ones that have that recognition that lasts forever. So even if there are protocols that are better than Bitcoin, which basically every single protocol out there right now is faster, is more, is everything, does better things with privacy. But Bitcoin still remains supreme because it has the most secure, the largest, and the most well-known network. I definitely tend to agree with you there. I, I am a fan of other projects as well, but I see Bitcoin as, as remaining king for the foreseeable future and many 
I think many projects kind of depend on Bitcoin to do well to continue their own businesses, right? So, you know, I see so much positive information about Bitcoin lately. You know, you see new people jumping in. I follow Peter Schiff because he's one of the few naysayers out there right now that have a pretty loud voice. At what point would Peter break into becoming a Bitcoiner? I think Peter will never break into becoming a Bitcoiner because of what he stands for. And unfortunately, Peter got involved in Bitcoin. I think his first negative tweet about Bitcoin was like when Bitcoin was $12 before we were even looking at it as a utility for poker games. So Peter's been a naysayer for longer than I've kept my eyes on the space. Probably nine of the 10 years Bitcoin's been around, maybe eight of the 10 years. So I don't think even at $100,000, he'll be saying we're going up from here, even though he's watched it literally go from a penny to 100000 A couple important tweets that he said, which I don't quite understand why he's a naysayer, because he's literally said there's a 50-50 chance Bitcoin goes 100000 plus or to zero. And for that reason, it's not a store of value. Sure, Peter, you are correct. It's not a store of value with that type of volatility. But if it's got a 50-50 chance of being 100000 plus or 50-50 chance of being zero, simple math says the current price should be 50000 So if we're sitting at 10000 even you, Peter, should be buying all the way up to 50 because you think it's got that 50% opportunity to go to 100. But in his investment strategy, he's not looking at it like that. He's looking at it as stores of value. And the odds of gold going to zero are probably close to 0%. So if you want something that appreciates 2 3 4% yearly, gold's a better option. If you want something that will likely appreciate 20 to 100% yearly, Bitcoin's the option. So being a store of value individual like Peter is, I think it's unlikely he ever shifts. But for the reasons he won't shift, it's very stubborn and it's probably cost him billions of dollars by now. I actually didn't know that he said it was a 50-50 chance. And, and knowing that he did say that makes me think, makes me agree with you and like, why wouldn't he have at least some sort of position in it if it's going to has potential to go that high but what would you say when he says things like bitcoin's a fraud and it's based on nothing and i think he said this morning like bitcoin pumpers are the ones pretending that nothing is something so so we're the frauds how would you respond to that for somebody that's kind of new to the space maybe looking at peter's tweets they're easy to interpret on face value but what you have to understand before interpreting them is what is the u.s economy what our world economy is based on and they're based on the same fraud Peter's claiming Bitcoin's based on. And so that makes everything a fraud. He's saying because they print Bitcoin and because there's users that drive the value of Bitcoin and as the utility increases, its price increases. So it's fraud. No, Peter, that's how an economy works. If that was the case, then the U.S. economy would be fraud for printing $6 trillion. I don't think it was right, but the reality is they can do it. Just like you can print USD tethers on the crypto networks. So there are things that seem fraudulent in both the crypto space and the real world, which is why he loves gold. He says the same fraud claims about the real world as he does crypto, but it's easy for everyone in blockchain to say, wait, 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 he's pointing out all this fraud in crypto. We can't be in crypto. Well, sure, but he's pointing out the same fraud in the finance and the economic space. So you have to look at it for face value and see what it is. It's not blockchain's bad. It's he thinks all economies are bad right now because there are fraudulent factors taking place in them. Okay, so we've established that, you know, Bitcoin is king and probably the safest investment. Would you recommend like new users in the space then you would just say, you know, hold hold a percentage in Bitcoin or how much would you spread that out into legacy financial tools or, or just other digital assets, I suppose? As far as holding your net worth, I think it should always be divided. You always have to have a liquid cash position. If the economy crashes, there are cheap stocks for sale, cheap properties for sale, gold price crashes, cheap gold, different markets, niche markets from Rolexes to Pokemon cards. I mean, different markets crash and do different things. So you always have to have a cash position. I'd say 15, 20% always in cash. 
so you can enter different markets as the markets swing. As far as the crypto space goes, I'm bad. Most of my net worth is in crypto because I don't trust our banks. I don't trust our government to print another $6 trillion this month. And I don't trust stocks. I trust Bitcoin. So most of my net worth is in Bitcoin, but that doesn't mean I recommend that to the majority of users. I recommend everyone to have a position in Bitcoin because if if the small group of us, the two, 300 Bitcoin true, true, not maximalist, because I'm definitely not a maximalist by any means, but those people who believe in the future of Bitcoin, if those two, 300 people are correct, not only will we all be billionaires, there's a couple billionaires in crypto already, but the price of Bitcoin will likely be a million plus. And at that point, everyone in the world will be using it. So it's one of those things that we might be ahead of our time or we may be wrong. If we're wrong, we all enjoy being in the space, but we're, if we're ahead of the time, we're going to set the curve for the future of how economies look. Now, I'm, I'm not a big price prediction guy myself, but many out there are. If I were to ask you your three and 12 month price prediction for Bitcoin, what would you say? I think at some point in the next three months, we take a dip. I think everyone in the country is expecting it to happen right before or right after the halving with yesterday almost being a precursor to, oh my God, it's dropping. So I think we take a dip right before, right after the halving. The problem is everyone thinks that. And I'm one of those people who is more contrarian than actually believing my own opinions because I realize my own opinions are generated from the media that everyone's being given. So if everyone thinks we're having a dip right before, right after the halving, I'm inclined to think we pump right through it. And if we pump right through it, that doesn't mean the dip's not coming because that dip, that correction will still take place. It's just a matter of when. If it's not happening in the next six days, when will it happen? And my opinion is it happens in the next three months. I think it happens in the next three months because I think the economy quarter two results come out. And I think we're going to have 40 plus percent unemployment in the United States with the GDP that drops more than 30 percent in a quarter. And I think the economy is going to have a huge pullback, just like what happened when the economy had that one day of epic collapse and Bitcoin fell to 3,900. I think we're going to have another day or two like that in the next three months which day couldn't predict it but i can tell you i have money on the sidelines and bids ready scaled all the way down from 5000 to 2000 just in case it does happen so i'm prepared to re-enter if the time presents itself unexpectedly but holding a bitcoin position in case we just go right through the roof and as far as 12 months i think we hit a new all-time high by this time next year so you think 12 months would probably be the maximum length of time before we see new all-time highs just based on supply and demand and the having i guess of new coins being minted every day i think all the individuals that flocked into the space speculating about the halving, there'll be a slight sell-off. And I think that sell-off occurs when the economy has a pullback. Once that sell-off occurs and everyone's basically situated again, then like prior halvings, the climb begins. But in some of the prior halvings, they don't pump right through the beginning of the halving. In some of the prior halvings, there's a two-week period where there's major, major dips. I'm expecting a dip like that to take place, but sometime in the next three months, and then after that, by this time next year, by May, I really do think we'll be above 20,000. Well, that's definitely very exciting to hear. There's, I guess there's a lot of people that you're probably going to be expected to join this space as price increases and people become more interested in it. Do, do you have any favorite maybe crypto personalities or media outlets that you recommend for others to follow? I know like you have a, you have a great great Twitter feed and everything else, but maybe where you get your business and crypto news. I think crypto Twitter is really the space to be engaging with everyone. I think there are very few places or even professions where someone who's new to a space, a trader who is brand new, can create a Twitter account and respond to, let's say, CZ, a known billionaire, and likely in two or three responses is going to get a response back. What space can you interact with the CEOs of the billion dollar corporations, private or public, by just shooting a a tweet by just shooting a message. So I think no matter who you are being in the crypto Twitter space, you find traders you like, you find traders you fade, you find news outlets you like, you find news outlets you ignore, you find all this 
it's a conglomerate of information. So I think crypto Twitter is the spot to be. Yeah, and I, I mean, I see you've amassed a pretty big following yourself on crypto Twitter. And you talk about the opportunities to be able to engage with some of these CEOs, whether privately or publicly. Have, have you seen any opportunities for yourself or have you met a lot of people on Twitter and made a lot of friends in the space? Yes, 100%. Most of the individuals I actually call friends now, the people I spend a lot of my time with as I travel the world for crypto conferences and events are people in the space. They were personalities I was following on Twitter before I met them in person. So as long, the longer you stay in the space, the more fun and exciting you realize it is because every person is a little unique, a little quirky, a little awkward. And that's what makes the space great. Yeah, I know you do a lot of tr day trading yourself. There's, you talk a lot about margin trading and you recently told me, you know, you were just telling me you were helping somebody break down margin trading. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how you engage on a daily basis in, in crypto trading? Yeah, I used to trade altcoins all the time, which is how I got the nickname the Crypto King back in 2017. And as the altcoin bear market came, um, I realized there wasn't really Satoshis to be made in buying and selling alts for the most part. And so I pivoted a little into trading Bitcoin. I've spent so much time looking at Twitter and so much time watching the markets that you get a feeling for how Bitcoin's going to move. And between TA and speculative and analysis and all that, as long as you're right more than you're wrong, or even if you're wrong more than you're right, but your wins are bigger than your losses, you make a lot of money margin trading. And so it's a good way to turn one Bitcoin or half Bitcoin into a whole Bitcoin or two Bitcoin. And what most people try to do is they try to come up too quickly. If you buy a Bitcoin and you're trying to turn it to three Bitcoin, you're going to lose. Unless you get really lucky on your first trade, that Bitcoin's gone. And so what I do is I'm very, very slow. Whatever my portfolio is, let's say $100,000, I try to make 1% of that. And so if I'm only trading with 10% of my portfolio, I'm trying to make an 8 to 12% trade once per day. Once that one trade occurs, I'm done for the day. Unless there's a great re-entry based on a spike or a dump in price, I'm done. So I've made my percentage and I get out. And with how much Bitcoin fluctuates, up $80, down $80, up $200, down $200. It's really easy to hit that minor percentage on leverage. So a little bit of leverage and a low percent, and you're hitting it every single day. And you have almost no losers as long as Bitcoin fluctuates in chops because you're winning on the chop. So it's actually been really, really nice as Bitcoin rises or even as it dumps because every day it dumps probably 300 points and every day it rises probably 400. So you just play the game of the ups and the downs and you make really good money trading. So you don't really touch alts anymore? No, actually I haven't been. The US banned a lot of the alt exchanges and the ones that they do allow, I don't really love the platforms. I've switched to Femex, which is a, it's more for derivatives and margin trading and um, a lot better than the current US available platforms. What would you say the biggest thing to happen to crypto in the past few months leading up could be with a company or I know, you know, like something like Binance has acquired CoinMarketCap. I saw that all over the news. Like what's kind of been the big thing to happen in the past few months to you? Who's come into the space? Because in the last few months with the stock market crash, we have found out a billionaire, one of the most famous investors of his time has entered the space and compared Bitcoin to gold in the 70s. Well, I don't know if you've seen the parabolic price increase of gold in the 70s to now. It's parabolic since the ETF became approved. So there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There's more than 50 millionaires. That's not billionaires. That mil that's millionaires. So there's not even enough Bitcoin for every millionaire to have half. So when they decide to pivot 1% of their wealth, which is not a significant amount for a liquid billionaire, 
or a liquid millionaire, there's not going to be Bitcoin left over for anyone. So very soon, we won't be talking in terms of how many Bitcoins you own, but it'll be how many Satoshis do you have. And at that point, it'll be a whole different ballgame. So I think the biggest thing that's happened in the last couple months are not the purchases of CoinMarketCap by Binance, because the information on CoinMarketCap was arguable at best anyways, because we know all the fake volume and all that stuff goes on. So I don't think that was that big. I think what's bigger is, I love Binance, first of all, but I think what's bigger than that are who's being brought into the space because who's coming in right now is huge billionaire investors and on top of cash apps growth they made more money off of bitcoin sales than almost anything else this quarter that's incredible so regular people are buying bitcoin using apps that make it easy and on top of it billionaires are coming in on institutional levels if that's not more of a sign that this is about to go parabolic i don't know what to tell you <laughs> no i can definitely agree with you it's uh, that's what i was saying before it's like i just keep seeing more and more positive information it makes me want to take a larger position every time you know, every day as every day goes by and I, and I learn more about it and, you know, it's counting down to the days to the having and then the hype that's going on right now. One thing I want to ask you about as well is decentralized exchanges. What your thoughts on that is how important it is for them uh, to be out there. And if you think there's going to be an issue with regulation in the states or any other major country. I think the states and all countries are lagging on regulation right now because most people in the space don't fully understand it. So the lawmakers trying to interpret the space really have no idea idea what's going on. So I think the issue is the laws are lagging. I think they're going to crack down on privacy coins that make transactions completely invisible. And I think they're going to crack down on stable coins that you can print out of thin air because only governments want that ability. So I think stable coins are going to have an issue. I think privacy coins are going to have an issue. And I think decentralized exchanges are very, very important, but there are none with volume. And for everyone who's trading more than a couple hundred dollars, if you're trading thousand dollar positions, $10,000 positions, $100,000 positions, I mean, you got to be trading on one of the biggest derivatives exchanges or one of the top three crypto exchanges. You can't be trading on a decentralized exchange because there's not $10,000 of volume in any token on it. So that's your real main issue. It's volume. Do you see that the volume, do you see the volume increasing over time to eventually migrate those bigger players into that, into decentralized exchanges? Not currently, only because people do what's easiest. People take the most simplistic route. And so right now, there's no reason to switch to a more decentralized exchange. Yes, privacy is important, but if it was so important, we wouldn't still be using Bitcoin. We all know Bitcoin's pseudo-anonymous and it doesn't really hide transactions. So privacy, as much as we want to pretend it's important, no one really cares about privacy more than simplicity as far as on the grand scale. Maybe 10% of people do, but the majority don't. They want what's the simplest UI to use. And currently those are centralized exchanges. Now you also mentioned you think there's going to be a crackdown on privacy coins and that they're going to have an issue. Will this have just like a short-term issue or is this going to cause like a long-term issue for privacy coins or do you think they have the ability to overcome regulations? I think even if there are a crackdown on privacy coins, the point of privacy coins are to basically be able to hold them and not, not know you're holding them. That's the point of the privacy. So even if you crack down on it, they're not going to go away. Like when alcohol was made illegal or when major drugs were made illegal, the price of cocaine skyrocketed. The price of alcohol skyrocketed. So just because overnight a government says Monero is now officially illegal, that doesn't mean the price of Monero is going to go from $80 to 20 It might in the immediate short term as people freak out and sell their positions on major exchanges. But once that settles, it'll start to appreciate because the people who want real privacy will now seek the real privacy coins because they're being banned for a reason. They work. So just because something's illegal doesn't mean that the, the value disappears. It might actually drive the value as it has in many other instances. Very interesting how this is going to play out. And like you said, the government 
are lagging on regulations. So they might might take a long time for these things to happen. And you might see some of the, do you think some of the bigger exchanges will put up a big fight against this and, you know, take it to court and spend a lot of money on it? Or how do you, do you think they'll just kind of let it go? I think it depends on what the battle is. I think the big exchanges are going to have to pick their battles very carefully. In the last year, they've had some major wins in India. Um, there have been major court cases in India that have determined cryptocurrency to be legal and tradable when it was almost banned entirely. It was overruled. And big exchanges, two or three, actually came together to push that legislation through the Indian court system, which is much more broken than the U.S. court system, and still managed to accomplish their goals. So I think they're going to end up working together to have the important legislation passed. But if overnight a country said privacy coins are banned, I don't think they'd fight that. I don't think that would be the battle they would try. They'd spend their bullets on or their money. Well, yeah. And especially if they're expecting it too, they might maybe possibly prepare for that. Jake, you said that you do a lot of traveling. You go speak at some conferences. So in your travels, I want to ask you, what do you think the most crypto-friendly country is? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. A lot of the ones in Asia have crypto as an option almost everywhere you go as a third-party option. But as far as most crypto-friendly, a lot of East Eastern Europe is already adopting crypto as well. There are coffee shops that are crypto only. There are billboards that literally say crypto is bad or Bitcoin is bad and it's literally owned by a bank, the billboard. So it's funny to see stuff like that as you travel the world. So I'd say Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe are the most crypto friendly places right now. Can I ask where you where you live or where you're from? I grew up in Chicago. Now I'm down in Miami since law school, but I usually don't stay in my home area more than a week at a time. I mean, since quarantine it's been locked down for a couple weeks but normally i spend three three weeks two two and a half weeks of every single month traveling the world and going to conferences meeting people engaging in blockchain events that you're living the dream man open mic at this point if there's anything lastly that you think would benefit me or other new people getting into the space there's anything that you think would be worth saying after our conversation here yeah everyone should be a holder even if you are a day trader even if you're trying to build your bitcoin portfolio even if you're trying to build it in US dollars, which is not how you should be measuring it. No matter what your goal is, you should always be holding Bitcoin on the side where you have the private keys. Don't hold it all on one exchange. Don't hold it all in one location. And don't be trading a portfolio that's your entire portfolio of Bitcoin. Because if you go on tilt or have an anxious moment, you'll lose that whole Bitcoin. Or if the exchange goes under, you'll lose that whole Bitcoin. So under no circumstances do you ever not hold any Bitcoin, no matter what you do in the space or no matter what you do in life. Hold the little Bitcoin. The US dollar is not going to appreciate. It depreciates every single year. We know that. If you're holding US dollars but holding no Bitcoin, what are you doing? So hold the little Bitcoin. And you also mentioned, you know, be careful. Don't hold your Bitcoin on exchanges because they could go down you know, if you have large amounts. Where would you recommend someone to hold their private keys for a long-term storage? Somewhere you don't tell anyone really yeah. about except maybe one person or its location in your way. And keep your private keys separate from your treasure or whatever storage device you do use because that is also very important. If they find your treasure and your private keys are with it, there's no point in having a treasure. So make sure you store it somewhere safe and always have a little Bitcoin on the side just in case Bitcoin really does go parabolic 
book and is a million dollars a piece one day. If you didn't have point one, you'd be really upset missing a hundred thousand dollar pump. Yeah, definitely. I think it's too risky not to be in, right? It's just feel like it's proven itself. It's been battle tested for over a decade now. Jake, I really appreciate you coming on to my show. I wonder if you could just tell people where they can find you online or where to follow to, to learn more about what you have to say. Of course. I'm JB the Crypto King on Twitter. Feel free to message me if you want to learn more about trading or if you have any questions about the blockchain and Bitcoin space. I'm here for the community. Thank you for having me on, Brad. I love doing this. Be happy to talk to you again in the future. A huge thanks goes out to JB Crypto King for coming on to the show. You just heard episode 27 of the Havering Report podcast. I'm Brad Mines. Please show your support. Smash the like and subscribe button. Happy having everybody.